I'm Josiah Bland. And I am none other than Grant Billings. And this is Seeker Start. Grant, we have a special guest today. A very special guest. And not in that way. Special as in close to my heart. (laughs) He's not that special. I'm special in many ways. (laughs) That is very true. (laughs) With us, we have the host of the Steady Anchor podcast, the admin of 1689 Gang. It's not 1689 Gang anymore. No? Update. You changed it. You didn't see... You're you're not a true fan. You're a fake not a fan. True fan. I, guess, <laughs> I, I am. I follow. Yes, Josiah knows what's I, up. I follow a lot of reformed meme pages. That's fair, oh, as wow. one should. Wait, so what is it now? It's so it's okay. So we started a website in the summer just to do articles and stuff, and we called that doctrinal discipleship. Right. So now, sixteen eighty nine gang is a page called doctrinal discipleship as well. Yeah. Uh, so he. Uh, yeah. So I want to be a pastor. I can't. I can't remain cringy and cagey. Oh, you know. Then, oh, okay. I didn't <laughs> know that. I thought I had just followed the doctrinal discipleship page on my own. Nope. No. Okay, that makes sense. New thing. New thing. I do so, totally follow still. So Luke, anyway, give us a quick rundown on. <laughs> give us a quick rundown on what you're doing, um, your podcast, and also the meme page and uh, the discipleship group. Right. What is that? What, do, what yeah. are you doing? Sure. Sure. So my name is Luke Schmelzer. Uh, I've known Josiah and Grant for a long time now. Um, we grew up in the same church, or at least I met these guys in like junior high, elementary school, probably. Uh, I grew up in this Southern Baptist church. Uh, my parents were Christians. I was kind of raised in the church, but never made it my own for a long time. Uh, was kind of a false convert, did that whole sinner's prayer thing, um, uh, just said the words with no real understanding of what they meant or what I believed. Uh, so I didn't actually come to a personal faith in Christ until junior high, where uh, God met me at youth group one night. He gave me a new heart and a new mind. He uh, showed me my need for salvation. He showed me my sin and presented himself to me as a true and willing savior. So uh, junior high, uh, was had that born again moment where uh, Christ became real to me. He really did. And it became my faith. And so from then on, it was a, it was a long process of growing in my faith, maturing, and and God still pruning away at those the sinful, destructive habits. Uh, I was still very angry at my family because of uh, how life had gone to that moment. To that moment, I was still uh, very prideful, still very kind of self-centered. Yeah, um, I was pretty much a Pharisee for a long time, uh, which led to a lot of conflict with other people, other people like Josiah and Grant. Mm-hmm. We didn't get along super well when we were younger, but well, now that thought, we've all... I just thought huh? you were really nerdy and you like to read too. Which I am. Which hasn't changed much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's still the same. Yeah. I, I'm drinking out of a Baby Yoda mug as we speak. So. Oh, I, I got one of those too. Mine says like, fight... Something, take naps or something. <laughs> so cute. This is the way. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah. Um, so into high school, I got to get really serious about my faith. Um, felt a call to ministry. So I went to a Bible college. I'm in my fourth year at Bible college now. But through that process, um, I came into knowing uh, theology more deeply. I came to love the things of God, to love God's word more deeply, started to get into uh, theology and church history and systematic theology and apologetics and all these things that really helped me to see God for who he was, which you know I had always been 
I've always been taught growing up to love my neighbor well and to love God and have your Bible time and stuff, but I never really went deep into discipleship, right? Yeah. Yeah, And so I started studying theology really deeply and uh, got super excited about it, but sometimes became a little too abrasive with the people who weren't on the same page as me. Uh, we we had a lot of those conversations with the three of us. Um, but so part of that was starting a meme page in 2019 called the 1689 Gang, which is a reference to the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, which... I mean, everybody knows that, you know. Um, oh, yeah, everyone, uh, of course. Yeah, yeah, everyone of course. Everybody. Yeah, of course, everyone. <laughs> so it was, it was a lot of, of memes just kind of like poke at fun at other other people and like obviously Joel Osteen memes and stuff like that because that's right. easy pickings. Um, but over time, I wanted to, I wanted to do something more substantive because obviously, like I said, the long-term goal is to become a pastor, plant a church, you know, I'm, I'm going to attend uh, Mid-America Reform Seminary for my MDiv in the next couple of years. So I'm looking to get more serious. And so I started a podcast called the Steady Anchor Podcast. I've been doing that for um, a little over a year and a half now, where I just do a lot of topics on uh, Christian faith and practice from uh, a reform perspective, where we try to get deep into um, the wisdom of what the godly men and women that came before us have to teach us today. So yeah. obviously founded on scripture, elevating Christ and all that we do, everything to God's glory. So uh, like I said, I just transitioned the 1689 gang page into a doctrinal discipleship page because that's the name of the website that we just started and the name of our Facebook group that we do a lot of like article sharing and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah that's pretty much where I'm at. I'm just a Bible college guy who loves the Lord. Uh, I want to serve him with my life, and I, I love telling other people about who he is. So here I am today. Yeah, that's really that's really great, man. And if uh, the listener, go check out that page. Go check out uh, Doctrinal Discipleship. They have a, a Facebook group. Go check that out. Get involved in that. It's been really great um, to be a part of that. Um, the the meme page, go check that out. As he's, I mean, it's been really, uh, really awesome to watch you specifically um, start to transition into those, those, those different areas. I mean, me and Grant coming and you as well, coming from the same type of church. um, I mean, we, there's so many different doctrines and things like that, that we had never even heard of. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh yeah. Specifically um, one that is a stumbling block to a lot of people, um, the Trinity, right. Um, Right. The Trinity for many people, if you were to ask them, so do you think that you can understand the Trinity? Do you think that we can um, see the Trinity in the Bible? A lot of people would say no. That, that's mm-hmm. not that's not something we can we can ever know. It's just something that we just kind of say and say we believe, but can't really understand that. So right. that's what we're going to get into today, as we continue this this series. Who is God? We're, we're we want to know God. We want to know who He is, um, and we think very clearly we can see who He is in Scripture. Right. So let's get right into this, the Trinity. Uh, Luke, what is a a simple definition of the Trinity? How would you explain the Trinity to someone that has never heard it before? Mm -hmm. Right. So the word Trinity is a word that that comes back from the early church. Uh, We as Christians hold to the Trinity as an understanding of who God is and how he relates to us. It's it's part of his his very being. It's part of what it is 
to say that he is God is to say that he is a trinity. He's triune. And so the doctrine of the Trinity is something that was really heavily debated in the first few centuries of the church, especially Mm. like the 300s to the 500s. It was a lot of really intense debate over the doctrine of the Trinity and how that related to who Christ is as well, his nature and what he does. Um, And so the Trinity really is a word that we translate from Latin Trinitas into just our word Trinity which really just means three in one. It's tri-unity. It's, it's three in one, which refers to how we understand who God is. We understand God to be three persons in one being. He is one God eternally existing in three separate persons. Um, and so that's kind of confusing because there's no real analogy that we have in anything that we see around us, right? So like we use analogies and stuff like, oh, it's a it's a three-leaf clover or it's like the three states of water. But all of those analogies break down pretty quickly, right? Because who God is and what God does really transcends any fitting analogy in his creation. Right. And so, you know, we talk about three in one. Last the the last episode we did on the Who is God series, we talked about how God is incomprehensible, right? Right. Um, that is something to us as as human beings, as created um, beings, it's 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 impossible to wrap our minds around that. The mm-hmm. fact that a, a being could be three and one at the same time, right? Um, and so, yeah, getting into the the Trinity, right? Um, I think once again we can talk about the Trinity. Um, we can define it. We and, and most people would say, oh, it's God is three in one. Or maybe they would know that some, some maybe not. Um, but some people would say, well, the Bible never says Trinity. The Bible never blatantly says, look, God is a Trinity, right? So where, where, do, we, where do we see that? Where, where, where does the Bible say Trinity, if, if it does? Or mm. where can we see that type of an implication? Yeah. So like us as believers, we know that our foundation for the things that we think and the things that we do come ultimately from the Bible. It comes from God's word. Our ultimate source is what Jesus taught. And Jesus taught that the Bible was the word of God. He sent out his apostles to speak on his behalf and authority. And he affirmed at every term that the Old Testament that was spoken through the prophets was also the word of God. Um, And so when we go to the Bible looking for uh, doctrines like the Trinity, sometimes they're not as clear at first. So like you said, like the word Trinity is never in there, right? Because it's a, it's a Latin term that we didn't start using till after the year 200. Mm. So how then can we justify using this term? Well, the problem is, is that this is a word that's trying to summarize something that the Bible teaches. The debate is not about what the words of the Bible are. It's about the understanding and the interpretation of what the Bible teaches. Right. So like, you know, I could, I could talk to you guys about there's this, there's this sport that I like. It's got a medium-sized ball. I'm just size laughing because I don't actually like these sports. But uh, I can tell you guys about this sport. I like this sport. I like this game where it's got a medium-sized ball. It's checkered black and white, and guys going around and kick it with their feet, and they try and get it into the goal posts of the other guys. And so I could give you that entire explanation every time I talk about it, or I can just say, I like soccer, right? And so that's the... 
See, I thought it was sport. And so I was like, all of your (laughs) but so like this is it's it's an analogy for trying to to explain the importance of these terms right so we we have to use terms like these in talking about theology and doctrine to kind of summarize all that the bible says about one topic so how does this apply to the nature of God, right? Well, we see in the Bible, throughout the whole Bible, from beginning to end, that there is only one God. God says uh, through the prophets, he says to Moses that he is the God. He is the one God. He is the one God who created the heavens and the earth, who walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He's the one God who covenanted with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the one God who dwelt with Moses and led them out of the promised land. He's the one God that he spoke through the prophets. He even says to the prophet Isaiah over and over again, I am God. There is no other. There's none beside me, none before me, none after me. There is only one God. In fact, the main confession that the Old Testament people learned was from Deuteronomy. I think it's chapter 6, the Shema, which means um, behold, or or, uh, I forget what. It's the first word of this paragraph that they would learn, where they would confess the Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, This was their fundamental confession as Jews, as the faithful people of God in the Old Testament. And so, in the New Testament, that doesn't change. We don't say, oh, now Jesus is here. Now there's a second God. Oh, the Spirit's here. Now there's a third God. No, because Jesus always also teaches not only that the Old Testament's the Word of God, and that's true, but also that there is still only one God. Yeah. But then, but then the complicated part comes in when multiple people are all called by the name God. <laughs> right. So like Jesus at multiple points in the Gospels refers to himself by the name I am. He says, I am the bread. I am the way. I am the truth, the life. He refers to himself as this. He is the one that Moses was looking toward. He is the one that Abraham longed to see. He is the one who was before these people. He says, especially in his high priestly prayer from John 15 to 17, that he was glorified with the Father before all of the ages. He says that he and the Father are one. That's not something that any of us can say. We can say we've been united to Christ by faith, but we can never say that we have eternally been with the Father. Right. We can never say that we are one with the Father. And yet this is what Jesus teaches. And and even when he appears to Thomas, who was doubting that he had resurrected, he puts his hand in Christ's side and he says, Jesus, my Lord and my God. That's not just like an exclamation. He's not yelling, OMG. No, that would be blasphemy. And Jesus didn't like strike him down. No, exactly. I'm not. I, you know, he, exactly. he took the praise, right? He took that, that yeah. title. Yeah. And so everywhere else we see when people bow to an angel or anyone else, they say, no, 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 don't bow to me. Don't worship me. But when people bow to Christ, when people worship Christ, I I saw this in my Bible reading just the other day, because I'm taking a long time to go through the Gospels this year. In Matthew 1 and Matthew 2, uh, what do the wise men come and do? The wise men come and bow down to Jesus. It says that they worship him. But we know from the scriptures that the only one worthy of worship is God. Yeah. So we have this problem now because the Father's called God and Jesus is called God. 
And then we went into a, a different problem when we get into Acts, I think it's chapter six with Ananias and Sapphira, where Peter says, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. You have lied to God. And that's when Ananias and Sapphira came in with their offering and said, this is the full price, but it wasn't the full price. They were both lying. And Peter says that they're lying to the Holy Spirit. They're lying to God. The New Testament that the Holy Spirit has actions. He has personality. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. He has emotions in a sense. And so the Father's called God. The Son is called God. The Spirit is called God. All three are worshipped. All three are in some sense prayed to. Uh, we're baptized as Christians by Matthew 28 into the name, the singular name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So right. there's three people called God, and yet there's only one God. And so us as Christians, we try to explain this huge mystery by calling it Trinity, by, by putting it in categories that we can understand that these three persons are eternal, they are coexistent, they are to be glorified. These three all share in what it means to be God, but there is only one God. Right. And like you said, that's a mystery that's beyond our comprehension. It's it's God's gracious way of kind of condescending and explaining it to us because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, his ways higher than our ways, his nature higher than our nature. Right. More than we can explain or can be than we can know and understand. Yeah. But this is what we have to confess as what he's revealed himself to be. Yeah. And so once again, we don't we don't believe in the Trinity because it's a man-made thing. Right. We believe right. In Trinity because the scriptures show a Trinity. They show there is only one God. And there are also three people that are called God. Right. And so while at the same time, it's like, OK, that's really confusing. We see that in the text. So, for instance, a couple verses here. First Corinthians 316. It says this. Do do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? Yeah, and then in 1 Corinthians 6 and 19, it says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? So in 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says the believer is called the temple of God. It doesn't say the Spirit of God, right? It says of God. And then in 1 Corinthians 6.19, the believer is called the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we see God, and that would we would assume the Father. Right. Mm -hmm. And then and then it calls our, the believer the temple of the Holy Spirit. And mm -hmm. so is it is the temple of God or is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Well, yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so in, uh, in Romans 8, 9, it, it says this. It kind of shows all parts of the Trinity. Um, it, it says this Romans 8, 9. It says, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Right. There's the Holy Spirit. And then we see if indeed the spirit of God. Right. And so there's mm -hmm. the father dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So we see there the spirit. We see he is a real person. He's distinct from the father and the son. We see the spirit of God. We see the God, the father. We see that God, the father and God, the Holy Spirit are one. And then we see the spirit of Christ. And they, these are all distinct persons. Mm -hmm. But they all are one. They all are unified as God, right? Right. Um, so how how does this work out then? So there's three persons, but they're all one God. They're all equal in, in their in their um nature, right? 
There, mm-hmm. There's not one that's lesser than the other. Right. Um, but do they have different roles? Are there different roles? Do they do different things? Or do they all have one sp- specific purpose um, or one specific thing that they all do? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, and that's that's really essential to how we understand uh, the way in which God is Trinity. The way that we understand him as Trinity is kind of tied into how he interacts with us, how the different persons of the Trinity work together to accomplish something. Um, so these are there are two words that we can use to kind of describe these two different categories, right? Because because if we're thinking through important doctrines, important theology, we always have to speak in the right contexts, and we always have to speak in the right uh, um, categories, right? Because we don't want to confuse things when we're talking about two different things. And so we have the Trinity as he is in himself. Uh, theologians will call this the ontological Trinity, which just means the being of the Trinity. This is how God truly is in and of himself. Um, this is how God is as the three persons of the Trinity interact with one another. This is the foundation of where these three persons get their identity as persons. Because eternally, from uh, from all ages, there was never a time when their son was not with the father, and the father was not with the son. There's never a time when the father and son are not with the spirit. We see this going back to even before creation. We see that the way that they work together in this. And so the father, son, and spirit in their Godhead, in uh, their eternal nature, there's there's not a hierarchy. There's not one God and two lesser gods. There's, there's a lot of ways that people have kind of uh, gotten the wrong answers when trying to answer this question through history. Which is why on my show, I've done a lot of studies recently on the different creeds and councils of the early church, because that's what they were trying to figure out. People would say something like, oh, you know, Jesus is just, he's not God. He's just the first and best creation. And that causes all these problems because again, Jesus is called God. And we, and still, then, and we still see right. that there's still some places today that there's still some uh, religions today that believe that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like there are different cults and stuff that'll still teach that, that Jesus is not God, um, that he's the first created being. We see that in the Arians of the early church. We see that in Jehovah's Witnesses of today. There's people who say that Jesus is just one among many gods. Um, We saw that in the Gnostic heresy of the early church. We also see that in Mormonism today. And so it's important for us to get this because, uh, because, it's important for us to actually understand who God is, right? right. And so back to back to the internal Trinity. Um, so there's no hierarchy in the sense that we would understand. There's always just these three eternal relationships. So the Father is always the Father of the Son. That's that's what we call uh, the eternal generation of the Son. They always relate to each other as Father and Son, and the Spirit is always relating to them as the Spirit of the Father and the Son. But then they work in different ways in creation. Um, so like we see uh, in creation, uh, for instance, in Genesis 1, you see in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But then in the next verses, it says that the spirit of the Lord was hovering over the waters. Hmm. And then what else do we see in the New Testament? In the New Testament, we say that it was through Christ that all of these things were created. 
Yeah. He is the one through whom all things were created. We see that in John 1 and Colossians 1 and Philippians 2 and Hebrews 1. He's not just a creation. He's not just an angel. He is the one through whom all things were created. And so in the economic trinity, in the trinity as, as God is working out his plans for the universe, the plans for creation and our salvation and the fulfillment of all things. As he's working that out, he works out in a cooperative way with these three persons. And that's that's how we see the distinction between these three persons, right? Yeah. Because they're all working for the same goal, but they're playing different parts in this. So in salvation, for instance, there's, there's this covenantal relationship that the Trinity enters into with themselves as three persons to save people, to save us as Christians. Right. So the Father plans and and ordains this plan of salvation for, for uh, salvation to go about and be accomplished in this way. And then the Son, Christ, comes in time incarnated and dies for the people that the Father chooses to save. And then in time, in our lives, the Spirit comes onto us and applies that salvation as he wills. So it's the Father electing, the Son redeeming, and the Spirit applying and regenerating. Right. It's a Trinitarian work in our salvation. There's a harmony there that's explained in the doctrine of the Trinity, which is sought, which is one of the reasons why this is so important for us. Yeah. Yeah. So for someone who might be like a new believer, someone who um, is just kind of starting to dive into these things, um, why would it be important uh, that Christians know and, and study the Trinity? Right. What do you think, Luke? So this question... Well, what I think, uh, it, it goes back to, again, who are we talking about here, right? Mm -hmm. Because if we're talking about the Christian God, if we're talking about the God of the Bible, we have to know who we're actually talking about. Right. If we're saying that we're entering into relationship with this triune God, if we're placing our faith in Christ, well, who is Christ? Is Christ an angel? Is Christ just a, a ghost, a spirit, basically? Is is Jesus just one of the the many hats that God wears sometimes, you know? Um, is he just a so man? Is he just a man? Exactly. Is he a yeah. good moral teacher? Because these are all things that we may hear from our culture and from cults and other religions, but we have to trust in what the Bible actually says about who God is. Right. So like if, if I went up to a person at, in Kentucky where you guys are, right? If I go to the campus of the school you guys attend and I go, hey, do you know Grant? And they go, yeah, I know Grant. I love Grant. I go, yeah, he's a, he's a tall, he's a tall uh, ginger guy. And they go, no, no, Grant is, Grant's five, six and Asian. I'm like, no, I, I don't think we're talking about the same guy here. And they go, yeah, it's, it's Grant this. He lives here. He goes to these classes. He's this old. This is his social security number. And Whoa. they go, yeah, but that's not. I know Grant. I know what Grant's like. I know what Grant looks like because I know him personally. And so we, there's, there's no way that we're both right about this. Either he's wrong or I'm wrong, or we both may both be wrong, but we can't both be right. And so when we're talking about who God is, we have to go to his word and ask, who has he revealed himself to be? Because we know that God has revealed himself through creation. Romans 1 makes that perfectly clear that the eternal attributes of God, his power, his divinity, his, his justice are revealed. That his law is written on the heart of every man so that no one is without excuse. Everyone's without excuse. I mean, uh, 
I flipped that backwards. Sorry. Yeah, I was to say. <laughs> Everyone's with that excuse. Great. Um, but so everyone, in a sense, knows who this true God is, but only in a sense through creation. Right. It's only by knowing God's word. It's only by trusting in the person of Christ, who is the eternal son of God, the eternal word, that we can actually know him as he is. And so it may be hard to get into these discussions. It may be confusing. Uh, there's a lot of vocabulary you got to learn and stuff like that. Yeah. But it's all worth it to really know who he is. Yeah. And that, and that vocabulary. Yeah. And I think, I think a biggest part of these types of discussions that's hard for people is the vocab. Um, there's so many words when you start talking about ontological trinity, economic mm-hmm. trinity, you start getting into some, some areas. I mean, this is, this was foreign to me not that long ago. Um, yeah. You know, this is, and it is intimidating, especially when you have people around you talking like this and you're like, oh, that's, that's really scary. <laughs> like, I don't know what yeah. to say yeah. right now. Um, Super intimidating at first. It, it is. But I mean, and those words, they're great. And they, and they help us to understand what is actually happening. But the biggest thing we want is that you actually know who this God is. Right? Exactly. And so whatever way you do that, look, you have to, the, the Christian God is a Trinity. And so mm-hmm. as Christians, we should want to know this God better and better and better and better. Um, because we believe to know God is to love God. And the more that you know mm-hmm. God, the more you love God. Exactly. And, the more you, and the more you love God, the more you want to live for God um, in everything that you do. Um, so the Trinity is, is so important. It's, it is the Christian God. There's no other religion that believes in the Trinity or mm-hmm. a Trinity, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, you can go down the list. We have Islam, they have a God there. They have one, one God, one, one person, right? Yeah. Allah. It's a one and only one. Yep. And then we have Mormonism. There are anyone, <laughs> first of all, <laughs> Jesus was a creation and, and yeah. God had, yeah. had sex with a woman and they had Jesus. And then yeah. Jesus you know, was the first spirit baby of, of heavenly father and his heavenly wife, who is the spirit children of a God before them and so on and so forth. And so the Trinity is Christian. Mm-hmm. And so if we call ourselves Christians, that is our God. And, and that might, right. and, and the Trinity is one of those things. I think you had me on for one of your podcasts a while ago. Um, and you asked me a question. What's, what's, what's a, your favorite thing you're studying right now, or what's something mm. that's like sticking out to you about God. And I was like the Trinity, like you think about the Trinity and it is so amazingly complex to my mind um, to just sit. If you just sat down and started thinking about the fact that there is a being out there that is one, but three mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in there. And what's that song by uh Mouth of the South, where he talks about the Trinity. Like, um, <laughs> oh gosh, that's what is a that song? Because people need to listen to that. Because that's first I, song. I heckin remember what you're talking about. I he don't like, remember the name though. He was like, "There, I don't remember either." But I'll have to find out. I'll, I'll have to send that out or something. Of a simple mind, yet thrice you cannot contain my. I, yeah, yeah I, I remember the fact that you know there is a God that has there the three persons, and none of it spills over. Right. He, he, he can contain three persons in one being that's so Mm -hmm. mind bending. Right. Um, and it's, and it can be intimidating, but we shouldn't allow it to be, um, because it's our God. And while it's super complex and it's incomprehensible to us, it's hard for us to understand. That's what makes him God. And that's what Mm -hmm. makes him worship like worthy of worship. Um, he is massively, 
um, powerful and immense. And it's right. It's right. Just so it's, it's amazing to think about. You know? <laughs> so it just adds into the, I mean, just kind of linking back to the last episode, I mean, it just adds on to the incomprehensibility of God yeah. to where mm-hmm. it's like, will we ever fully comprehend the Trinity? Probably not. No. Yeah. Probably not. Never. We would never. It's be way to... too big. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's too big and too deep. Like, uh, the old theologian John Calvin used to say that the finite cannot contain the infinite. Yeah. And in some sense that's referring to us that like our minds will always be too small to grasp everything that God is. Yeah. But that's part of the joy of eternity Yeah, that for us as Christians and the new heaven and the new earth, uh, we will always be able to look at God and there will be always more and more and about him to learn and love. Things, right. Exactly. It's, it's amazing. So I think this was really good. Um, I hope that it was helpful for you, the listener. Any any thoughts? Any last thoughts? Anything? Uh, I found I think simply "Grace" by Mouth of the South is the song you were thinking of. If you like metalcore, um, <laughs> that's more their their spoken word song. But I love that album. Yeah, that is their spoken word. But that that is a great song. Go check it out if, you like, if you're into like any heavy music. But uh, or if you're not, just go check it out. Maybe mm-hmm. get into something. Yeah, just read the lyrics if you're not. Into <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, if you guys don't have anything else, I have a couple quick recommendations. Yeah. But first, oh, I think I was gonna. I was gonna ask. Yeah. yeah. If someone wants to learn about the Trinity, um, first of all, getting into confessions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, getting into like the London Baptist Confession, even the Westminster Confession. Um, you got to be careful about the whole baptism part in the Westminster Confession. Yeah. But, Everything in there is good, except for the last clause of question 95. Yeah. Be careful <laughs> um, anyway, they explain these really difficult truths very well. Right. And, and they're very helpful. Any other things you would recommend, uh, for instance, like the creeds, et cetera, what kind of, what kind of stuff should we be studying to learn about the Trinity? Right. Um, so this kind of goes, I'll lead into it with, sorry, one second. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking up a catechism question that I was thinking of. So references and uh, resources and stuff like that. That's a that's a big part of what I try and do through Doctrinal Discipleship and my podcast is get people access to, to, to bigger and deeper stuff, right? Because yeah. the three of us were youngish guys. We're college students, seminary students. We're, we're looking to go into a ministry of some sort, but we don't have all the answers. Right. Uh, and so we want to point you to wiser, smarter, godlier men and women who do have better answers. And I think there's a lot of good places to find that. One book that, uh, one book that was really helpful for me was a shorter book called Experiencing the Trinity by Joe Thorne. Now, this is a book that, it really ties into the focus of this whole conversation. The idea that, that knowing the Trinity, knowing who God is, is essential to actually knowing who God is. Right. Right. <laughs> that, yeah. that having this understanding that God is father and son in the spirit reminds me that there is always a father above me who loves me and cares for me, that he protects me, that he provides me for me, that he disciplines me. And that he's also conforming in me into his image. Uh, to know that God is also son is to know that there is one who has suffered and felt the pain that I feel. Uh, Hebrews says that he was tempted in every, every way that we are and yet without sin. So he has suffered. He has gone through the trials that we have. He is a high priest who is not unable to sympathize with us. Yeah. And so I can always sympathize with Christ. 
I know that he has suffered as I have suffered. I know that he is present, and I know that he is my brother in the faith, and that my, my faith in him brings me union with him, and my union with Christ makes me a son of God in the same way that he is. Go on. Not in the same eternal relationship, but it gives me access to the family of God that's available in no other way. And knowing that God is also the eternal spirit knows that there is now a God within me. Uh, you guys were quoting from 1 Corinthians a bit ago, where he talks about, don't you know that your body is a temple of my spirit, of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. To know that God is not just above me, that he has not just gone before me, but that God is within me, that he is sealing me, that he is keeping me for the day of redemption is so practical and so helpful in my everyday walk. And that even when I don't know how to pray, the spirit within me is interceding for me. That's from Romans 8. And so these are beautiful and wonderful truths. And uh, Experiencing the Trinity is a good short book of just daily devotions it's that goes booklet, through. Right? Huh? Yeah, it's, it's a booklet. booklet. <laughs> it's only like it's only like 125 pages. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but it's good. It's really good and helpful. If you're looking for something more to get into the doctrinal side of it, Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves is a great place to start. So that's another book that introduces all these topics at a, at a at an intermediate level that explains their the definitions and terminology and stuff. Yeah. But it also explains why this is important, why it's biblical and why it is practical. Yeah. Um, if you want to go even deeper than that, you can find something like the forgotten Trinity by Dr. James White, which is a, a longer exposition working through the scriptures, doing solid, consistent exegesis to point to how we got the doctrine of the Trinity from the Bible. He deals with objections and stuff because he does a lot of apologetics to these different cults. Um, so that's very helpful. And I think you can also find it as an audiobook on Spotify. So that's The Forgotten Trinity by James White. And uh, like you guys were saying, you can also turn to the historic creeds and confessions, which are so helpful in defining terms and setting forth the scriptural basis for stuff. Um, so like the three of us, we would hold majorly to the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, uh, which in many ways is the same content as the Westminster, except for the two areas that they may, that they majorly disagree, which yeah. is on church structure and baby baptism. Um, but that like I read through that at least once a year, just looking back for encouragement and reminders of of the biblical truths that I hold to. Um, and the catechisms as well. So like in the in the Baptist Confession, you can go to chapter two, which lays out all of this stuff about the Trinity. Yeah. You can also find the catechisms that go through the same material. So the Westminster has the shorter and larger catechisms. There's also a Baptist version called Keech's Catechism. Um, I'll just, so like here's question four of the Westminster Shorter. What is God? The answer, God is a spirit infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And then it has like a dozen different uh, texts of scripture that help explain those points where we get all that. Yeah, and so These are these are all great resources from the godly men and women who stand beside us and who have gone before us to help us understand these biblical truths. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. And um, any final thoughts for you, Grant? Thank you, Luke. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule. Oh, yeah. To be on our podcast. Yeah. I mean, I was reading one book and then I was going to read a different book, but well, now I'm going to just read that different book later. You know, this is, this is honestly why we kill me, man. Because <laughs> Luke is always teaching us stuff about 
about who God is. And that's why we, <laughs> Luke is such a, I've learned that the key to being a good theologian is just to repeat what the Bible says. And if that isn't clear and, and concise enough, repeat what a smarter person said about what the Bible says. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So, yeah, man. Thank you so much for uh, for coming and joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, yeah. Go check out Steady Anchor Podcast. Um, you know, our podcast and Luke's podcast, we're all a part of um, uh, the, it's what's called the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Uh, and I think it's what reformedpodcasts.com or something like that. Yep. Yep. So yeah, go check out reformedpodcast.com. There's a lot of other great, great uh, producers there um, who are making, who, who are doing their best to, to, to help us in our faith, to help us know who mm-hmm. God is. It's good um, stuff. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. So. Well, with that being said, we'll see you next time. Love you. Bye-bye.